Egypt is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, it, is, it has been around much longer than the United States. The Great Pyramid of Giza is so huge and so complex, we can't even make it with our own tools today. We don't even know how they did it. Mako might tell you that aliens built it on Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> They're still around. They've just taken up different forms. They're not technically gods. There's only one true God. There's only, there is only one Yahweh, and there is only one creator God. And these other gods, lowercase g, I mean, I'm not quite sure even how to categorize them. We could either say that they're evil spirits or they're, you know, demons, if you will. But there's a hierarchy and there's a, there's a class of demons and some are stronger than others. And, uh, well, that's how they manifested. So, in many ways, we're dealing with the same characters today. So we need to know what's going on behind the curtain. We need to know that, that we are in, that we're in spiritual warfare against the gods of Egypt, still. In the Exodus, we see that drama play out. But in modern contemporary interpretation of Exodus, and the, the social interpretation of the book of Exodus, we, we, like, to, we like to take out the supernatural. I'm not, I'm not saying we. Uh, scholars... Biblical scholars and such, they like to take out the supernatural. They, they, they'll, they'll equate it to myth. They won't see the gods as real, like maybe you and I would. They'll see the Exodus in a different light. They'll see they'll say it as a, like almost a, from a, a socialistic or communistic uh, vantage point. That the Exodus was an encouraging thing for humanity because the slaves rose up and there was a people movement and it was led by an incredible leader. So all that we need in this world is to rise up as a group of people to know who we are and maybe we need a good leader every once in a while like Che Guevara or something like that. I'm not being serious. But the Bible, if you read it literally, it doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us that there was a group of, of oppressed people that were sitting around and like thinking to themselves, I'm not going to take it anymore. That's not what happened. The Bible does not say that Moses set the people free. The Bible doesn't say that this was a people movement. The Bible tells us specifically this was a God movement. Moses was just a little player, but this, God did this. God's the one that set his people free. There was no way that, that, that the Israelites were going to be able to free themselves. It wasn't even in their mind. They were so ground down into slavery that they didn't even realize that they could escape. They weren't even in shackles anymore. They didn't have, they weren't walled off anymore. They, they just did what they were told. They could run off, but they didn't realize it. Their mindset was too far gone. They didn't free themselves, and Moses didn't free them. God freed them. 
And yes, there's two sides of the coin on this drama. Yes, God heard the cries of his people and he set them free. So his heart was to bring his people into the promised land, to, to bring them out from under the yoke of slavery. Like that was, he was so passionate about setting his kids free. Like that was, that was one of the driving forces. But on the other side of the coin, this is, is going to be the point of today's message. The other side of the coin is, is that it was fight time. He wanted to fight the gods of Egypt. He was there to display his power and to put on notice the principalities and the evil forces, Satan himself, and to show Satan and his minions who have taken the form of Osiris and Horth and all these different gods, his, his intention was to say, you guys, you guys look beautiful and shiny and golden and powerful, but you are absolutely nothing in the presence of Yahweh. And so this is what was really going on. God is putting the gods on notice. And in this story, lack of a better word, he just kicks their butts. And he humiliates them. The most powerful empire the world has ever seen, God humiliates them in multiple ways. Over and over again, ten times, God humiliates them. You get your Bibles. I'm going to illustrate just real quick the motive of what was going on. Moses' father-in-law, the priest of Midian, he actually understood what was going on. He knew it wasn't a people movement. He knew it was a God movement. Moses, or, uh, Jethro tells Moses in Exodus 18.11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For he did this to those he had treated, who had treated Israel arrogantly. So he's saying, Jethro gets it. He's like, yeah, I know that the Lord is above all other gods. And he's, those that have been arrogant towards the Lord, he's going to treat them appropriately. Isaiah 91.1 says it also is a prophecy about Egypt. A prophecy against Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. This is great. The idols of Egypt tremble before him. Amen? Like those cool guys, they, you know, the ones that can control the big giant sand snakes, they tremble. Before the Lord. These idols are absolutely nothing compared to him. They're, they're scared of God. And the hearts of, of the Egyptians melt with fear. And then Numbers 33, 1 through 4 says, Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by division under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. This is their journey by stages. The Israelites set out from Ramses. Okay, that's a city. That will be important a little bit later. On the 15th day of the first month, the day, the day of Passover, they marched out 
in full view of all the Egyptians who were bearing all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had brought judgment upon their gods. The enemy of God can do a lot of damage. The enemy of God can flaunt his stuff and put himself on display. But rest assured, he will pay the bill. God is a God of justice. And he will bring upon those who are unjust. And that is what's going on. In Exodus 5, we see the beginnings of this story. Uh, when we left off a couple weeks ago in the, in the biography of Moses, Moses was, was being called into this great adventure with God. He wasn't going to set God's people free, but he was going to be the instrument of freedom. He was going to be the deliverer of Israel. And he didn't want to do it. Remember that? He was reluctant. He's like, I can't do it. I can't speak. I don't have the skills. I, I, I just, there's somebody else that could do a better job. Anybody but me. I mean, he's making excuses after excuses after being in the presence of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in the presence of God? You know God's real. You know what he's doing. You know that he has answered your prayers. You know that he's broken through. And yet, you still don't want to do what he's asking you to do. And that, that's Moses, and that's his human nature. And so we can learn some things not to do from Moses and from his life. In this chapter, chapter 5, we're going to learn what we can do. Like, I want you to be a lot like Moses in this next, coming up here. All right, let's see if I can, let's, let's try to read the whole thing. Exodus chapter 5. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. So this is after Moses is like, okay, I, okay, God, uh, I'll do it. Please don't kill me. That's, that's what's, kind of what's going on here. I'll do it, God. So, they, him, so he approaches Aaron and he talks to the Israelites. And now he's going to go to Moses or go to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. It's kind of like Coachella. <laughs> no. A festival in the wilderness? No, okay. Not, not like Coachella. But they're going to go. They want to have a festival. They want to go in the desert. They want to do a Christian version of Coachella. Christella. There we go. Let's start something new. Christ Chella. We could have Phil Wickham. So it'd be awesome. So that's the ask. They're asking Pharaoh, we just, you know, let your slave force go for a few days, so that we for three days, ironically, so that we can go into the desert and, and worship our God Yahweh, right? Incidentally, um, the name I am that tetragrammatron that we talked about earlier of, of Yahweh. 
that was re- we believe, most scholars believed that that was revealed to Moses for the first time. When God encountered um, Abraham and when God encountered Noah, like there was clearly a communication going on. There was, you know, they, they, they knew that they were talking to the creator. But when Moses talk, when God talks to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, I am. And then this name begins to be revealed. God is even getting closer and even more personal. So there is a there is a, a next level of relationship that's going on. And Moses is the he's the head of it. And so this name is introduced to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will and I will not let Israel go. Basically saying, I know Osiris, but I don't know your God. Okay, he's going to know him pretty quick. They said, the God of the heavens has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. So this is that grinding down again, okay? He's going to keep, the, uh, the enemy of God wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep you busy. I'm not saying that you, uh, you shouldn't go to work tomorrow. You need to go to work tomorrow. Um, but there's more to life than work. Then Pharaoh said, look. The people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers to charge in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks before, and do not uh, reduce the quota. They are lazy. Did you know that the enemy of God likes to call you names? So, the truth is, well, they're not lazy. They're meeting their quota. But the enemy of God likes to lie to you. Now, here's how you know that you're buying a lie is when you begin to call yourself the same names that the enemy of God is calling you. So, let's not do any negative self-talk. Don't call yourself lazy. Amen? Don't call yourself stupid. Don't call yourself a loser. Don't call yourself a reprobate. Maybe when you came in to this place, it might have been appropriate to call yourself a sinner. But by the time we're done today, you're going to be calling yourself a saint. Yeah? So it's all about identity. Let's just not call it ourselves what the enemy wants us to call us let's just not degrade god's creation let's not degrade god's children let's stand up firm in whom he has created us to be and in our identities in him i know negative self-talk is something that we all need to do you hold every thought captive and you make those obedient to christ jesus so the next time you begin to call yourself a name 
or say to yourself that you're depressed or whatever, whatever your thing is, you hold that thought immediately captive. And you and probably more importantly, you need to know where it's coming from. You need to know where the source is. And who's the source? It's the prince of the air. It's the devil himself. So let those evil thoughts go. Make them work harder for the people so they will keep working. Pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh said, I will not give you any more straw, blah, 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 okay? So they're making it harder for him. <laughs> Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. Why this ad is why you keep on saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work and do not be given, and you won't be given any straw. Verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us, an obnoxious, to, you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. And his officials have put a sword to their hand to kill us. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you have sent me? Okay, so he's asking God a serious question. His things aren't going well. Moses' first assignment in confronting Pharaoh, it's not going well. In fact, not only is it not going well, not, not only is his pitch not landing, it's gotten worse. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak, to your, to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Okay? So, now, Moses is complaining a little bit. He is asking some serious questions. Like, God, like, what's going on here? All right, let me help illustrate this point because I think we all can relate. We all can relate to what's going on here, believe it or not. There is some practical stuff, and if you just hang with me, you'll see it. In our culture, in American culture, I hate to reduce this to, to um, you know, anyway, you'll see, you'll see in a second. In our culture, when we buy something, as, as a good consumer, we expect it to work, right? When I go to a car lot, I haven't been to a car lot in a very long time, driving a 2002 Toyota. <laughs> it's, still, it's still running. 250,000 miles later, I can't get that thing to die. But when you go to a car lot and the car salesman is going to sell you a car, you get in the car and you turn it on and you just expect it to come on, right? You expect it to work. We're a consumer culture. When we buy, we expect it to perform. We expect the product to perform. 
Did you know that uh, if you apply your same consumer principles to faith, you're going to be very discouraged? So Moses is Moses is he Moses bought Moses bought the product, right? Moses bought the Yahweh. And he expects it to work. Or did he? You see, this is what we need to learn from Moses. Because he he bought the product. He's like, okay, I'm going to sign up for this thing. I'm going to get my calling. And now I've got the confidence. And me and my bro, we're going to go face Pharaoh. We're going to tell him, let my people go. It's going to be awesome. We're going to win. And he doesn't win. He gets his teeth kicked in. He makes things worse. Now nobody likes him. Like, he is completely isolated. I can't tell you, I mean, out of all of the years that we've been in ministry, I can't tell you how many times we've seen this. Because Pastor Josh is going to get up here and he's going to tell you, if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, well, then you're going to be blessed. If you accept Jesus Christ into your, into your heart as your Lord and Savior, then your whole life will change. If you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, then you're going to become a new creation. And you can do all things to Christ that gives you strength. Now, those are all truths. Those are all true statements. I will not make an exception for any of them. I will not make an excuse for any of them. They're true. I believe them for you today. Your life is so much better with Christ than it is without Him. But if your first experience with God right out of the gate is negative, should you, uh, should you get your money back? Let's go back to cars. I like cars. My 2002 Toyota runs. Put the keys in, starts most days. It's reliable. If you have the option, there's two sets of keys, and and you're going to be gifted a car. One is my 2002 Toyota set of keys. The other set of keys, 1964 Corvette Stingray. How much are those worth, do you know? 100,000? The T-top? Oh, what they did, was that 66 or... Okay. But he had to choose between the two, two sets of keys. My Toyota that runs or the Corvette that doesn't run. <laughs> you take the Corvette because my car is worth about $1,000. The Corvette is worth over $100,000. The only problem is when you put the keys in, it doesn't start up right away. Do you know that faith is like that? 
that your decision to choose God is like that. But if you have the patience, it's not that you're going to get the car to run fast right away. You, you have to put the gas in. You've got to tune it up. You've got to do the work. You've got to restore the thing. And when I'm saying restore the thing, I'm talking about you. You've got to tune yourself up. You've got to do the work. You've got to put the right fuel in. You've got to strip out all the bad stuff. It takes work to get your faith going. And that is what Moses is doing right now. Because he could have, at this moment, this is a defining moment, because he's, he's dealing with immediate failure right out of the gate. Like he didn't want to do this job to begin with. And he's dealing with failure right out of the gate. And he says, you know, God, why have you done this? I thought, I thought you were going to be with me. You told me that you were going to be with me. You see what's going on here? God is with him. But God wants him to tune up the Corvette. And this is what we can learn from Moses. He doesn't quit at this moment. Most people quit. Most people get saved. They get excited about coming to church. And they, still, they, they come on Sunday. They come to their little Bible studies. And then something goes wrong. And then they, then they blame it on God. And they just peace out. They get so frustrated. They get disillusioned. Or maybe somebody in church is mean to them and you know, now, they're, now they're dealing with church hurt or something like that. And they just give up. And they're like, oh, I, knew, I knew it was like that. I knew they were like that. And then they believe the lie, right? So Moses stuck it out at a very important defining moment. And you have too. And we need to encourage our people to do the same. Because what happens next is, is that Moses takes on the gods of Egypt. And although he lost the first round, he's going to win the next ten. He gets to not only be a part of setting God's people free, he defeats the most powerful man that the world had ever seen at this time. Okay, um, raise your hands if you know the name of the God or the Pharaoh of Exodus. Raise your hand if you know the name of the Pharaoh of Exodus. There's only one person else besides myself that knows that, and that's Pastor Larry sitting in the back. If you remember the Prince of Egypt cartoon... Or the last, the, the, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Or even that newer, lamer movie with Christian Bale. That pharaoh was Ramses II. So, and we read, I mean, you, I actually read it and you guys, you guys didn't catch it. But it's Ramses. So, okay, this is actually a, a debated topic, Okay. Um, some people believe it's Ramses. Some people think it's Amenhotep II. Uh, I don't. We don't. There's a. There is a, an early view and a late view of who the Pharaoh was. We're not exactly sure, but whether it was Ramses II or Amenhotep, the, or excuse me, Ramses II or Amenhotep II, excuse me, uh, either one of those guys, they were absolutely incredible. Pharaohs, 
Ramses was the builder. He is the, they called him the, the, Ramses the Great, the great builder. He built so much stuff. They call him the, the ancestor. He is, it's the, the pinnacle of Egyptian power. Amenhotep was, was, was right up there with him too. So either one, I mean, like the guy was the guy. And yet, Moses didn't give the Pharaoh the dignity of writing his name in the holy book. That was intentional. The reason why we don't know his name in the book is because Moses is like, yeah, I'm not even going to honor him by putting his name in the book. I'm going to put other people's names in the book, but I'm not going to put that guy's name in the book. Isn't that fascinating? And Moses got to do that. Moses got to... <laughs> He got to say, you know what, God, do you want me to put this Pharaoh's name in the book or not? I'd rather not. What do you think? And God's like, yeah, leave him out. He's a jerk. The interesting thing about the Pharaohs is that they marketed themselves as being gods. And quite honestly, they probably were to a certain degree. Or technically possessed by a high demonic spirit that gave them the ability, that gave them the power to do what they were able to do. They, like did, they did a deal with the devil so that they could build things that didn't exist before and to have power and oppression over people. And Moses got to put them on notice. Next week, it's going to have to be a two-parter. Next week, we're going to go into the plagues, the ten plagues. And we're going to talk about Passover. Because Jesus is all over this story. This is, a, this is a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us. Not only does He set us free from our sins by His shed blood, but He gives us the ability to trample on serpents. We have access to power that we don't even realize. The gods of Egypt had certain dominion. They had certain authority over areas. There's thousands of Egyptian gods, one for every moment in life. Whatever you need, you can pray to a certain god, and they, might, uh, they may or may not give you what you want. But it basically boils down into three areas. One, there was the God of the sky. Two, the gods of the earth. And three, the gods of the Nile, the lifeblood, the lifeblood of Egypt. And each and every plague goes after one of those three principalities. There are two plagues, which we'll talk about next week. Two plagues that go after the Nile. There's four plagues that go after the gods of the earth. 
And there's another four plagues that will attack the gods of the sky. And it is saying something very important. It's saying, we are going to take away your power. We're going to take away your authority. No longer will, your, will God's people be subject to this oppression. They will have to, they will have to choose. They will have to choose Yahweh. And they can no longer have any idols before them. There's ten plagues. There's going to be ten commandments they are going to follow, right? One of the ten commandments is that you shall not have any gods before you. Now, on that thought, I have never been tempted to bow down and worship a statue of Isis. Have you? I've never been tempted to say, oh, it'd probably be a good idea for me to get a little Buddha in my, you know, in the, in the, in the, in, right when I come into my house so I can have some good luck. I've never done that. I've never wanted to try out another God because Jesus wasn't working out for me. That, that's, that's what we call idolatry, right? But the, the, the point about that commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods above me. And when I, when I began the message today, I told you that these gods of, the gods of Egypt are still alive. They've just taken up different form. All right? They're just manifesting themselves in different ways. That same sensuous god or goddess, well, she's alive today. We can see her in Las Vegas. We can see her in Hollywood. We can see her on the streets. Now, that goddess is still alive and kicking. Osiris, the god of prosperity, well, he's alive and kicking today. You know, one of, the, um, one of the, the, the dominant idols in Egypt, you know what that one was? Like if you're going to make an idol, if you wanted to become rich, if you wanted, if you wanted to, to be successful in the marketplace, do you, you want to know what uh, idol you'd have in your house? You would have a bull. You'd have a nice, shiny bull. Uh, where is one of those in our country? <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Is it ironic? I don't know. I think maybe we just need to wake up to what's going on in the idols that are around us. So we can point these things out, right? But you and I need to be aware of the idols that are in our own lives. Like this is, this is going to take some hard examination. You've got to look hard. You've got to look deep. Okay, what, are the, what am I putting above God in my life? The easy ones to think about you know, I was like, well, is it, you know, uh, oh, I don't do those things that Pastor Josh has said. But if I'm pushing on you a little bit, what are you putting above God in your life? You ready for this? Hang on to your seats. It's going to be the ouchy part. Is it your career? Is your career more important than God? Have you made your career an idol? Is it your money? Have you made your money an idol? If you have, you're serving a specific God. We call him Baal, we call him Zeus, whatever you want to call him. He's still alive and kicking. Yeah. 
Have you made a relationship an idol? This one's tricky. I know you love your spouses, but did you know that if you put your spouse above God, you have made your spouse an idol? Isn't that fun? Um, Your kids. Some of us live vicariously through our kids. The whole world revolves around our kids. Do you know that our kids can become an idol? If you, if you place your kids ab- ab- above God, then they, they're an idol. Your entertainment, is that an idol? Your sports teams, is that an idol? <laughs> yeah, boo. All right. Really, I'll really mix things up today. I mean, Memorial Day weekend. Do you place your government above God? If you've done that, then, then government, politics are your idol. When you seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, then all of these things come into perfect relationship and perfect order. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God is, God is the center of everything that you do, then you will have a healthy marriage. When you seek God first and you put God's mark upon your finances, and you say, oh, no, I'm not going to become a slave to money, then, then that takes its proper place. You don't become a slave to it. If you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first the kingdom of God, you will know who to vote for. You don't need me or any other talking head to tell you. When you seek first the kingdom of God, The idols will not have any power in your life anymore. It seems almost impossible, right? All of these forces in our society, all the forces in culture, the way that our culture is going, like it it almost seems like it's out of control. Can I get an amen? Like, Like this train is like off the rails and it's not stopping. That's what it feels like. It feels like... It feels like the church of Jesus Christ is on the ropes and is getting pummeled. That's what it feels like. But that's not what is true. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it maybe, maybe it, you know, you're, you're dealing with your family, you're trying to encourage them to come to faith, and you're losing. You try to witness to somebody, and you lose. It might feel like it's not worth it. But the truth is, God has won the day. You know, all of these powerful principalities that we're up against in our society and our culture, they are, they're being backed by demonic forces. The same gods of Egypt, the same gods of Greece, the same gods of Babylon, they're all the same players, they're all the same characters. We just have them here today. Okay? But did you know, someday, someday in eternity, we're, never, we're not even going to remember their names anymore. Like this evil that we're dealing with, it's going to be so insignificant that we're not even going to make notes about it anymore. We're not going to write down, we're not going to give it the, the dignity of even writing it down. It's going to become absolutely nothing. On your bulletin cover, 
That is Ramses II. That's literally his face. This is the guy that, that most likely flip a coin that squared off against Moses. In 1880s, some European explorers wandering around in the desert, there was this age called the Romantic Period where Europeans were, they don't like, like all this overcast weather, right? So, you know, if you're British and it's, it's cloudy all the time, like you're, you, you, they got tired of it. And so they, they went on these romantic adventures. They went on these grand tours, and they began to explore the, the Near East and the Far East, and they began to, to draw the pictures of, of all these ancient things and begin to take photos. This is one of the very first early photos of, of Egypt. Maxim Duchamp took this photo in late mid to late 1800s. And they just... Some guys just stumbled upon this statue. They had no idea what his name was. They had no idea who he was. Two thousand years prior, two thousand, three thousand years prior, everybody knew who this guy was because he was everywhere. Everybody knew his name. But when these European explorers found him, no one knew who he was. It took a long time to figure out who this guy was. And he was buried and forgotten in the sand. I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. This is a, this is a poem by uh, Shelley, Percy Shelley. And we'll wrap up with this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said... Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on sand. Half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that this sculpture, well-passioned red, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on that pedestal, these words appeared. My name is Asmonides. Asmonides is the Greek name for Ramses II. My name is Asmonides, or my name is, so on this statue is, is typed, my name is Ramses, the great, the king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know what that means. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So what this poem is saying is everything is going to pass. Everything that man has made with the help of Satan will be absolutely in ruins someday. 
All of these things that we fear, all of these things that we think have power over us and power over the church, everything that we feel is oppressing us, someday is going to be completely obliterated and sunk in sand, and everybody's going to forget it because everybody's going to be enraptured by the love of God. If you're going through a hard time, if you're struggling, if you're wondering, I don't know if I'm going to be able to win in this. Think about Ramses the Great. We can't even remember his name. That evil spirit is just gone. Whatever is afflicting you, whatever evil spirit has power over you, whatever habit is torturing you, whatever thoughts and, and, and social situations that you feel like you can't get out of, did you know that the Word of God has a promise for you? This is not actually in the Bible, but it is a truth, and we can make it a biblical truth. This shall pass. This too shall pass. So if you're hurting, if you're lost, if you're confused, put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and it's going to be okay. This shall pass. Don't have to live in fear. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we get to live in hope. Let's receive communion. Larry, if I could get you, you and the band to come on up. There's um, several covenants in the Bible. The first covenant was made with Adam and Eve. The next covenant was made with Noah. When God wiped the earth clean, he made a covenant with, Mo, with Noah, saying, I'm not going to do this again. And he made a sign. He made a sign in the sky. It was a mark of that covenant. The next covenant would come with Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham is, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to multiply your offspring, and you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. That was a very powerful covenant. That covenant was marked by circumcision. And then Moses is the next powerful covenant. Moses' covenant with the Lord was that he was, he was going to be the deliverer, and God was going to give him everything that he needed to deliver God's people. And that covenant is marked by the law and by God's name. So before we receive these elements, let me ask you, do you have a covenant with God? Do you have a, I mean, this is, I hate to put it in these terms, but maybe this is a term that you can understand. Do you have a deal with God? Do you, do you have a relationship with God, a, a, an, a, an agreement with God? Do you have a covenant with God? This is the new covenant. This covenant is marked by the, the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the new covenant. This is the bread of life. This is the manna that came from heaven. Exodus says that it was sweet to the touch. 
You know when you are a part of the body of Christ and when you receive from him, when you are saying, you know what, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you in everything that I do and I'm okay with failure because I know that that Corvette's going to start up someday. This is all that you need. I know you feel like you need other things, but the body of Christ is all that you need. It supplies all of your nourishment. Be faithful. Be consistent in this meal. And know that when you eat this, you will be satisfied. Amen? Receive the body of Christ. You're going to have... You're going to have somebody's blood running through your veins. The Nile was the life force of Egypt. It was the bloodline of Egypt. They call it the the blood of Osiris. And when the Lord turned that water into blood, He was making a very powerful statement, saying that is nothing compared to what my Son is going to bring. The shed blood of Jesus Christ washes away all of the sins and it buries gods. It buries statues. They have no more power. They have no dominion. They have no more authority in your life. You cannot defeat these gods by yourself. You have to do it with the blood of Jesus Christ running through your veins. Receive the blood of Christ for your empowerment, for your, the forgiveness of your sins, and for the glory to come. the kingdom. Yo.
the ask to Pharaoh was, let my people go so they could come into the desert and offer offerings. Now is your time to offer offerings to the Lord. If I could have the ushers come to the front. Tithes and offerings are a powerful expression of worship. It, uh, it tells you who you put your trust in. It tells you who your gods are. I want to encourage you to put your faith in God during this season. We have a little bit of an exodus to go on. But God will be with us. He's going to provide us everything that we need. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless this offering to its fullest extent so that we could advance the kingdom of God in this city, in this region, in this country, and other parts of the world. Bless this offering, Lord. In your name, amen. Let's just continue to worship. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. as in heaven. Bless you. Hope to see you at the park.